you got cooking? How about cooking something up with me? Let's stir it up, boys. Welcome to the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. A weekly excursion into the fine art of preparing the world's most popular recipes under an open sky and an open flame. Boyd's One Stop is located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Now, here's the old grill sergeant, Randy Hayes. Let the high holy days of Texas history begin. You know, I hope I can always remember the first time I heard the world's greatest radio newsman, Robert B. McIntyre, utter that phrase on the air. The high holy days of Texas history. Yeah, R.B.'s a wordsmith if there ever was one. And that phrase, the high holy days of Texas history, I think that's one of his best, at least in my opinion. And don't get me wrong, he had a lot of other great lines over the almost 30 years we worked together on the Hudson and Harrigan show. But I'm especially fond of that one because... I love Texas history. Many of you were not educated in Texas public schools. You grew up in other parts of the country or something. So you probably don't realize that all Texas school children are required to take two years of Texas history in order to graduate from high school. And that was one of my favorite classes. As most of you already know, last Tuesday was Texas Independence Day, that fateful day in 1836 when a group of brave Texians, yeah, that's what we were called back then, a small group of settlers, if you will, decided they just had enough of Santa Ana. The, the, he was the full-blown dictator of Mexico. And, of course, Texas was officially a colony of Mexico. Lots of Texans don't know why the early settlers were willing to fight Mexico for independence. In fact, a lot of people who took those two years of Texas history don't know. So here's the story, a brief version. Moses Austin and his son, Stephen F. Austin, were granted the title Impresario by Mexico, and that allowed them to establish colonies of hundreds of Anglo settlers to populate Texas. It was largely uninhabited at the time. Well, sure, there were Apaches and Comanches and a few Tejanos. Those were mixed Mexican and Native Americans. But other than that, Texas was pretty much unoccupied. And the settlers were given immunity from tariffs and taxes for seven years. But when Santa Ana seized control in 1834, he started charging tariffs and taxes, but he didn't give any government representation or statehood to Texas. <laughs> Sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds a lot like the complaints the American colonies had against the British Empire in 1776, right? And that's the reason why Texans, Anglo and Tejano alike, started to petition the Mexican government for statehood. But Mexico refused. So in October of 1835, the residents of Gonzales, that's a town about 50 miles east of San Antonio, they fought a battle against Mexican troops over a cannon that the Mexican government had loaned to the town to protect itself against attacks from Apaches and Comanches. This is where the famous come-and-take-it-flag story comes from. Because the settlers of Gonzales were not about to let the Mexican army take back that cannon. If you want this cannon, come and take it. We could get into a long discussion about the Fredonian Rebellion in 1825 or 26, I don't remember now. But Gonzales is widely accepted as the first formal battle of the Texas Revolution. And the Mexican army was routed, by the way. That set up the story of the Siege of the Alamo, 
which fell exactly 185 years ago today. There have been thousands, who knows, maybe hundreds of thousands of books written about what happened at the Alamo. And the good Lord in heaven only knows how many movies and TV shows have been produced. Some really good ones and some really bad ones. So most of you probably know the basic story, but here are a few facts about the Alamo that you might not know. For one, the Alamo's original name was San Antonio de Valero. Sounds like a gas station, doesn't it? <laughs> and it was most certainly a Spanish mission. So yeah, the priests were trying to convert the Native Americans to Catholicism, but that was only part of the plan. What Spain really wanted was taxpayers. And when Mexico won its independence from Spain, they wanted the same thing, taxpayers. That's why the empresario concept was adopted, to bring in Anglo settlers who could pay taxes to Mexico. And that's why they only granted immunity from tariffs and taxes for the first seven years. Anyway, back to the Alamo. Here's one I'll bet very few people know. The original Alamo chapel had no roof. Even during the siege of the Alamo, there was no roof like there is today. As a matter of fact, the building didn't look much like the one we visit today at all. The first roof was added in the late 1800s by the U.S. Army. And the most famous symbol of the Alamo has got to be the arched parapet on the front of the chapel. But it wasn't there during the battle in 1836. It was added in the 1850s. And there were a lot of people in the 1850s who didn't particularly like the idea at the time. Some people thought it made the facade look like a headboard for a bed. And when the siege took place, the front of the chapel was just this high stone wall with a fancy front door. That, here's one I didn't know. Several weeks before the siege began, Sam Houston determined that the Alamo was indefensible. So he sent Colonel Jim Bowie and 30 soldiers to San Antonio to remove all the weapons and destroy the building so the Mexican army couldn't use the Alamo as a stronghold. But when he got there, Bowie realized he didn't have enough donkeys or horses to transport all the heavy artillery. So he and Colonel James C. Neal convinced Sam Houston that they needed to defend the Alamo as some kind of symbol of defiance to Santa Ana. They begged for reinforcements, but very few came, and they were overrun by the much larger Mexican army soon after. One of the only survivors was William Travis's slave, Joe. He didn't have a last name. He was a slave. They just called him Joe. Santa Ana let him live because he wanted Joe to convince other slaves to support the Mexican government, which had banned slavery. In fact, slavery was another one of the big reasons why the Texians declared their independence from Mexico. Now, that's not necessarily a fact that a lot of modern-day Texans like to talk about, but it is historically factual. Now, one of the most highly respected Texas historians, Dr. Ben Proctor, was a professor emeritus at my alma mater, TCU, and the slavery angle was always a big part of what he taught TCU students about the real story of the Texas Revolution. And here's one more thing about the Alamo that I'll bet you didn't know. And it's a lot more positive than the slavery thing. In 1903, some businessmen wanted to sell the long barracks section of the Alamo and make it into a hotel. A schoolteacher named Adina de Zavala persuaded a rich rancher, Clara Driscoll, to buy the long barracks and donate it to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. 
Adina de Zavala was the granddaughter of Lorenzo de Zavala. He was a Tejano who was a vice president of the Republic of Texas. Then, in 1908, about five years later, Adina locked herself inside the long barracks to stop work crews from demolishing the building. And she dedicated the rest of her life to the preservation of what we now consider to be a state shrine to the 200-plus defenders of the Alamo. You know, maybe we'll talk to our old friend and Texas history expert Nick Castleberg next week and find out more. That'd be cool, don't you think? Yeah, all this stuff just fascinates me. But I guess we ought to get back to the real purpose of the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking 